0: Thank you for joining IEB There. And now your
1: host, Randall Rothenberg. Over to you, Randall. Hello, everybody. It's Tuesday, May 12th at 2 p.m. And if you're here, that means you're here for IEB There. That is our daily live stream videocast in which we connect the digital advertising ecosystem to itself and to each other. Our topic for today's show is what brands are doing and must do to succeed and to thrive as we emerge from the corona crisis. I'd like to bring on today's guest, Randy Goldberg. Randy is the uh, co-founder and chief branding officer of the athletic leisure sock company Bombus. I think it's fair to say that Bombus is today the best-known native sock brand in the United States, certainly one of the very few, and by native I mean you originated as a sock brand you didn't borrow from doing men's suits or shirts or something else we didn't. Uh, and you're as i recall ready you're, you're seven years old you're um, about 130 employees yeah 100, 150 million dollars in revenue you're a pretty substantial um, you know uh, uh, company at this point
0: yeah um you know it, it's funny to think about the growth and the trajectory and the numbers and those are important numbers for us, for sure. We also, you know, for us, we look at the number of socks that we've donated as a key milestone marker for us, and we've donated over 35 million pairs of socks to our giving partners around the country.
1: How did you, know, I, I want to go into a little bit of history here, uh, because when I first became aware of you, uh, in fact, I think we met in a, uh, a fleeting way, uh, you were working at Big Spaceship, an advertising agency. You were a yeah. creative person. Uh, yeah. So how did you get from being an advertising agency creative to the founder of a substantial men's, well, men's and women's sock company? How did that happen? And kids, um, well, yeah, so
0: that happened, I guess, I, I was working a big spaceship in 2000, started at the end of 2005 through 2006 and part of 2007. And um, I guess the path to Bombas is a a bit winding. So I was working as a uh, creative strategist there and, you know, great team at Big Spaceship. I learned a lot about, you know, how great brands talk to their customers and communicate and share what they do with the world um, at Big Spaceship. And I had been writing, I was a copywriter before I was a strategist at Big Spaceship. So I'd been writing for like a new publication, um, new at the time, it was called Urban Daddy. (laughs) Um, And um, it was sort of the early days of that company. And at some point I went and worked there when there were just five employees. So I left Big Spaceship to go work at a startup, a media startup. And what I ended up doing there was writing and building an editorial team, but also building a little internal agency inside of that media company. And what we did there was we, we were able to, we had a list, but it wasn't as big as the people we were competing against but we we created a lot of added value and we built sites and apps and projects we hired big spaceship to build something for us for one of our advertising clients and we we built sort of a new way of building out a media company and you know there were five of us when i started and that company grew to 130 people when i left so i guess it was about the size we are now at bombas when i left and daddy but i met my co-founder of bombas co-founder at urban daddy and he worked in sales and business development, and I was in editorial and building this internal agency, and we were both just kind of entrepreneurial, always had been. Both of us always had that, that um, I guess, that drive or the, I, the idea that one day we would run a company, and we liked working together, and we thought maybe one day we'd do it together if an idea presented itself, and then we were having lunch one day, and he saw a campaign that the Salvation Army was doing on Facebook about the need for socks and homeless shelters and how socks were the most requested clothing item in homeless shelters. And that that idea just really stuck with us. It blew our mind. We started calling some shelters in in New York and we were like, is this true, first of all? And why is this? And well, it turns out you can't donate used socks uh, for hygiene reasons, Mm -hmm. and you're living on the streets a a new and fresh pair of socks means a lot. So there was this need and it was kind of an afterthought. And then we realized that socks themselves were an afterthought in the marketplace and nobody was really focused on bringing the best of what a sod could be to you know the mass market consumer so we started working on a one-for-one business model you know we thought about toms who had had a lot of success at that point mm-hmm. and i had known the guys from warby parker early on and saw what they were building and you know we liked the idea of a business that could give back and was built around the idea of giving back so we worked on a one pair of socks for two years. Thought we had something great, and we launched with an Indiegogo campaign in
1: 2013. Hmm. Now I should I, I should let the uh, the audience see that I am. Look at this. Not just limber, but a consumer. Look at this. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So uh, you've mentioned uh, you've mentioned three things that among uh, disruptor brands. Uh, uh, seem to go together. Uh, they, they happen in this this triumvirate. I see it quite a lot. Um, you know, one is uh, mission. Uh, uh, far more often than not, um, I see disruptor brands and the research we've done as having a basis in an actual mission. Sure. Uh, so there's the business and there's the mission business. Second aspect that goes together is that, you um, uh, uh, communications, marketing, but communications and communications to your customer base is built into the fabric of the company. It's not something that you hand over to a third party and say, hey, do marketing for us, figure out how what our message should be. Um, and the uh, and the third is, I'm not even sure you know how I would uh, how I would characterize it. I mean, it, it's the idea that, you know, a company, the, the company is an organism, you know, with its customers and consumers and its employees and other stakeholders. Is that a fair characterization? Because it, it does sound to me that that seems to be integral to the way you thought of the company and the way you've grown the company.
0: Yeah, a- absolutely. All three of those ideas. Um, you know, I, I think the base of our, of our the foundation of Bombas uh, is a, a really high quality product. Right, and really focusing on something that um, pushes, you know, product that was an afterthought into something that can add value to your everyday life and provide comfort in ways that you would maybe not expect from the sock. So a high quality product and their commitment to give back, our mission, right? So those two things form the foundation. But none of it would be possible if we didn't really invest in our employees, in our customers in the conversation with our customers and connecting to them and really having a tight feedback loop and controlling that story internally like you were saying and making sure that we were the ones who had that direct line with our customers were telling the right story along the way and were super consistent in that messaging
1: as you've grown and as you've scaled the company uh, and I, I just think of that one number of g- giving away 35 million pairs of socks uh that really betokens a, a an increasing degree of scale. What have been the hardest things uh, uh, to scale as you've grown? Has it been the employees? Has it been the communications? Has it been the the oneness with your consumer? Something yeah, else? It's interesting. I mean, I, I think, you know, in terms of the
0: communication, we, we've long invested in, in brand at our company and who we are as a company, what we stand for, what our values are, and making sure that we're telling that story over and over and over again, maybe in different ways, but it's really the same basic story. Um, and telling the story around our mission as well. The employee piece—that is obviously—it's a challenge to scale. But for us, I think you know when you have a company that is really built around a mission to give back, and that fabric of the company is—you—you you could not take the mission out of our company. We would not see—we would cease to exist if you tried to remove it. It's part of who we are, our DNA, we're a B Corp, it's written into the covenants of the company. And I think that attracts a certain type of person who wants to work at a company that is kind of walking the walk around the mission. And it's not just marketing and it's not just lip service. Our customers wanna hear about it because they wanna know that if they're making a purchase that the donations, where they're going, and they can come on our site and see, you know, type in their zip code in our giving directory and see the local shelters and organizations that we are partnered with. Um, So I think having all those things attracts a certain type of person and that person really buys into what we're doing and knows that they can have an impact on that and help build this company and, you know, have ownership. So thinking about our employees and really thinking about our employees first and making sure that they're taken care of and, um, you know, I'll pivot here. I I think today the best brands, um, you know, they go and find the customer where they are to mm-hmm. be you would create this beautiful world or a store, an environment, and then you would ask somebody to come into your version of the American dream. And here's what we think it looks like. You can buy a piece of that and you should want to look like this. I think great brands now are just trying to attach onto everybody's individual version of who they are and who they want to mm-hmm. be. And the more different things that you can fit into and the more versatile you can be, the more success you'll have. And that same idea goes for our employees as well. We're not asking them to walk into the door at Bombas, check who they are in the real world, and do things one our way. When you come into our office, we want all of the diverse and interesting experiences that you've had that make you who you are. We want those to come into the office. We want to cater to that. And we think those perspectives make our company greater and make our employees feel more connected and stronger. You know, it, it,
1: it's you, you've just touched on something that is, I, I think, actually v- pretty profound. In that, you know, if I go back to the uh, the, the brands in the mm-hmm. environment that I first became aware of as a kid in mm-hmm. the nineteen sixties, uh, uh, midnight, early to mid nineteen sixties, you know, everything was very much, and, and I don't, I don't want to caricature this. You know, everything, the American dream was a conformist dream. The sure. several suburbs where I grew up uh, were in fact quite wonderful, uh, but everything kind of looked the same. You know, we all went to the same public schools. Uh, uh, So uh, that's why I think the shock of the late 60s and and then the 70s, the the me generation, the individualism movement was such a shock. But what you're talking about now is almost a a coming through the back end of that and turning around slightly. And it's the notion of how in a an organizational environment do you adapt to you know what's effectively mass customization. You know, each individual uh, yeah. is his or herself. Um, but they still need to somehow be organized into a group that moves everything forward without sacrificing what makes them special. And that, those are, that's just a different form of management than uh, what I grew up with and you know, what built the United States economy in the post-war period. So I'm fascinated by the fact you're grappling with this in, in real time.
0: Yeah. It, 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 I mean, it, it becomes quite obvious that that version of that conformist American dream is not most people's reality or desire. And maybe at one point, it was everyone's more people's desire, but not the reality for most people. And you know, I just think that that even that construct is outdated. And you know, you're just we're just trying to facilitate a place where everyone is heard, everyone has an impact, We can do something that everyone agrees has a positive value, and at the same time stand behind a really high quality product. And if you have something that you believe in on the product side and you know that the work that you're doing, is real and impactful on the mission side. It frees you up to think and strategize and work and have like very strong like input into what this could be. And it frees you up to say, "I can do what I'm going to do whatever I can to help grow this because I believe in these things that are the foundation of the company, which is what I was talking about before."
1: So uh, uh, let's uh, shift a bit to the current situation that we're all in. You're in Vermont. Uh, your co-founder, David Heath, is is where? He's here. Oh, he's there with you, okay. So headquarters is there.
0: Yeah, well, we're all over the place as a company, but Dave and I, we came here <laughs> together, um, just decided it would be, it would be good to, to be together in this moment and it's worked out really well.
1: So how are you keeping uh, the rest of the team connected? What are the hardest challenges of managing 130 people from uh, behind a screen?
0: Yeah, I think at first we were concerned that productivity would just take a nosedive. dive, um, you know, with everybody not in an office where coming together in that office where we were and as a group and the spirit of our company was so important to us, right? We we invested so much in the idea of that togetherness and I think we were just concerned that we would lose some of the, the magic. But what I found is that our t- team has really risen to the challenge around this. And it's been harder for some people than others. And we're trying to do everything that we can to make things easier for people who are taking care of a loved one or someone who's sick or people with kids, you know, all all of the challenges that come with working from home in this environment and trying to stay connected through Zoom and through like the virtual world. I, I think we're just trying to be really realistic about it, very forgiving and what we found is that the team has been productive. Some people are more productive and thriving in the environment. And most people are just sort of want to know what's going to happen and are happy to be contributing to the company in the way that they can. I think they have a new relationship maybe to their job. And I think for everybody, it's sort of sharpened their pencil around our mission a little bit as well. Mm -hmm. It's always been front and center, always. Um, But in this moment, um, understanding you know, the infrastructure that we've built with the network of giving partners and the events that we do in the city and how we can lean on that in this moment and how we can all kind of magnify that has also been a motivating factor for the team.
1: Have you, um, uh, we, we talked uh, the other day to uh, um, uh, Nate Chekets of uh, Roan yeah. and, um, um, uh, uh, and he's the co-founder of the Brands for Better uh, Coalition. Yeah. And um, so they, uh, they, and a number of others, I think you are part of it as well, um, uh, uh, are doing a lot in terms of trying to give back in, in an organized way uh, to communities. What are uh, what are you doing differently now in terms of the mission, the giving back? It, it, it's people are being thrown out of work. Um, it's it's really challenging for a lot of people, and
0: um, I, I think the nature of, you know. How people are feeling feeling it in this moment is going to continue to change as, as all this evolves. But for us, you know, one thing that is important is that our mission hasn't changed, um, and it's just maybe more important than ever. We are continuing to focus on work with the homeless community and work with those who are serving the homeless community. You know, oftentimes like when times are hard, it's those with the least that suffer the most, and we're finding that that is the case right now as well. So trying to do everything we can to support some of the amazing people who are on the front line frontline medical workers, but also people who are running shelters, who run the New York City Relief Bus, who run the Bowery Mission, who are trying to stay open to serve a community that cannot necessarily, cannot always social distance or doesn't, don't have a safe place to go, don't have the care that we all have access to. So we're doing everything we can to support those people with essential supplies, socks, face masks, money, and leaning on that network, getting information from them, leaning on some of the partner companies that just friends of ours like Brooklyn and just donated linens through some of our donations, Clean Call, Bars of Soap, um, work with Code Epoxy. So we're trying to gather supplies, send them out through our network of over 3,000 giving partners across Mm. the country in all 50 states, and then continuing to donate socks, to be able to start conversations and to do virtual volunteering. I
1: wanna go back to um, uh, some some questions and your experiences uh, and observations about uh, the company's operations uh, during this period. Um, Functionally for the company, what's been the the most difficult uh, to operate uh, remotely? Has it been uh, uh manufacturing has it been uh, logistics has it been delivery what, what what parts have been more challenging than you might have expected and, and conversely has there been anything that you expected would be difficult that turned out to be surprisingly easy yeah i mean some of it it, it it has
0: been interesting there have been some of those like kind of flipped moments where you know i thought a concept review would be really hard in this moment but our design team really rose to the challenge and being able to work with them through that moment has been great um you know, I'm worried about fit um, and figuring out how, how to do tech fit and work with fit models and try and make sure that some of our apparel items, um, you know, that process, um, that, that has been challenging in terms of our supply chain. We feel like we're in a pretty good place, but, you know, you're always taking a look and seeing where the weak points are. And I think a lot of companies right now are focused on processes, um, potential like disaster recovery plans. You know, looking into ways to shore up the businesses and make sure that you have that kind of foundational strength, so that in case something happens that you can't control, you know what to do, right? Contingency plans. And for us, we've been really focused on efficiency, capital management. We've been profitable companies since day one, so I think we run the business in a very specific way that allowed us to meet this challenge, um, and and you know, kind of weather it um, in. A, I think we feel good about where we are as a company in all these different places, but there are challenges. The the biggest challenge is just the unknown, right? The one thing that you can't control that come out of left field. So we're just pressure testing everywhere. And uh, I I think every one of our executives and department heads all the way down through the company, everybody's is kind of rising to meet the challenge, which has been exciting. Um, And I think emboldening for everyone at the company.
1: Yeah. have you have you uh, have you found that you've got enough uh, flexibility in your supply chain? Have you had to adjust suppliers in any categories?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, we had we've have had some suppliers who were closed down early on and it affected certain launches of products that we planned for this period that we've either had to push back or cancel. But I think the nature of the category that we're in with socks and t-shirts, and the nature of our product is that, People are right now looking for things that are comfortable and they are looking to contribute to places that are helping out in this moment. And those are two hallmarks of our company. So I think we're uniquely positioned. So even if we can't launch, you know, certain collections on time, or if we're going to miss a few different things here and there, there's high degree of substitutability. And Mm -hmm. I think sort of trading on the idea of of the products that we have and our core products and even some of our fashion launches um, we've been able to, I think, be nimble and, and, and make the switch.
1: I, I read uh, in a recent piece that you've actually, Bombas has actually increased your, um, your advertising spending during this period. Um, did I get that right? That's the first question. And the second question would be, what led you, if it is right, what mm. led you there and how, how have you done that?
0: I think we've increased in certain places and pulled back in other places. Um, you know, we don't want to be as tied into some long-term contracts, let's say in TV or radio right now, but we are trying to be opportunistic with our marketing. Um, I think a Which lot- is probably of, easy to do right now because there's a lot of availability. There is a lot of availability. And I think you look online and I think we're seeing, you know, CPMs are down um, and conversion rate is steady. So there's opportunity online to be attracting you know, new customers. Um, we, we've had a very interesting run talking to our current customers. Our retention marketing is doing really well. So I, I think we've been able to remain nimble. In, in the beginning of this, it felt like every day or every other day, the messaging would change. And we always wanted to be sensitive to the moment and appropriate and continue to focus on efficiency, um, even more than growth, let's say. But we we are able to sort of um, when we see opportunities, since we are profitable on first purchase, we can push where, you know, maybe others have pulled back. And we've tried to do that where we can, but we're doing that responsibly.
1: Well, have you been experimenting with uh, with new channels in any way? For example, we heard when we did the town hall mm-hmm. with, uh, with about 70 founders uh, uh, two weeks ago, um, one of the things that we heard, we heard two things. Uh, one was... Uh, uh, unsurprising, which was kind of an inc- uh, an increase in, or a shift from kind of paid social app channel advertising to unpaid social, that made perfect sense. Uh, the second, which made sense on reflection, but I hadn't anticipated, was a much higher degree of, I'm not sure I'd call it experimentation or just use of the longer tail of OTT or streaming video. Um, anything that you've been working with that you hadn't done much work with before? Any findings from any of those channels? I think we're taking
0: a bit of an opposite approach where we're focusing on the things that we know work well. The, play, the, the messages and the things that we're saying, we're tweaking, but the places where we know how to operate really well, that's where we're hanging out. The places that are new, are, uh, our experimentation, the budget we had around that, that's the kind of stuff that we're waiting on in this moment, just because we wanna make sure that if we're testing into things, that the variables are constant so that we know if the test is actually working or if it's just this moment. So I understand like the instinct to go into those things. But for us, I think the way that we approach marketing is making sure that we are getting the learnings that we need from those places. So um, while we, we're, we're digging in on the places where, that we know um, and, and sort of holding off on some of those newer channels for us.
1: What about what about the, uh, the mix of, uh, 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 up, upper funnel versus lower funnel, kind of the, the performance. This is uh, this is something that as we've been tracking it over the years with our research, we've seen more disruptor brands, especially as they grow and become uh, really you know, well-founded, profitable companies, uh, gradually move more up funnel, uh, more attention to the brand, the brand message, <laughs> and, and less on conversion after conversion after conversion. Where, where are you in that mix right now?
0: Yeah, there's certainly some of that, you know, as we've like gone into TV and things like that. But for us, I, I think all along, I, I wanted to make sure that we weren't really distinguishing between performance marketing and brand marketing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And they ha- performance marketing has to be on brand and brand marketing has to perform. Mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, thinking of them as, you know, separate tracks, has just never been what we did. And maybe that's because we have never had a creative agency that structured things that way, but internally with our marketing team and our brand team and our creative team and that triangle that works together, that's sort of how we think about
1: it. You're still doing it all in-house. So you, you are still your creative agency and you're the creative director and the brand, uh, brand officer.
0: Yeah, so I have a chief creative officer who's also a co-founder in the business. Um, so we're partners in that and we have a CMO and the three of us kind of oversee the story and the brand and how things are, are put out to our customers. So um, I guess it's maybe a little bit unique that brand doesn't sit under marketing in our company, but it's just been our system since the beginning.
1: So one other thing I, I'm just fascinated with uh, is the the long-term evolution of, uh, of retail uh, and retailing. Sure. Um, and the relative uh, balance of I keep thinking of it as digital stores and physical stores. I don't yeah. like brick and mortar as a term, and I don't mm-hmm. like um, you know I don't like online uh, as a term. Yeah. So um, you had Bombas had started to move into physical stores, and you're in a couple big ones. Yeah, I, Neiman Marcus. Uh, no, we're in Nordstrom and other yeah, good. goods, Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's all been disrupted over the past uh, past two months. How has this disruption affected uh, your thinking about your future retailing mix? Um, do you imagine that you're going to kind of pull back from physical or use it in a different way? What, are you, what, what What's your thinking? It's
0: a good question. I, I think we're always constantly evaluating strategies for this type of thing. We've been very careful um, with our retail strategy, you know, being like wholesaling our product is still only about two percent of our business. Um,
1: Very tiny, yeah. Uh,
0: so that didn't really, you know, hurt us in the way that it could have in this moment. Um, but we are not planning to slow down our expansion into physical stores. Um, we think it's still an important, you know, way forward for us as a business. And the retailers that are going to come out of this moment will come out of it having learned a lot and stronger, and maybe have a better idea of how their store sits into the Landscape, and if they survive this, maybe they'll be more well positioned. So, we're taking, we're going to learn and see where we're really confident in the partners that we have and how they're going to survive this moment. Um, we're in touch with them all the time. Um, and while it's not big percentage wise, a huge part of our business, we do think about that strategy quite often and what retail and stores will look like for Bombas down the road. But for now, we're focused on those partners and we're focused on thinking through how to get through this year with them and, you know, the inventory issues that are going to be caused by
1: this. So. How, what kind of, uh, you know, as a, again, as a creative person and a strategist uh, before you were also in charge of this company, um, how do you look at, if you, if you were a, a retail consultant now uh, and you were called on by, Nordstrom, which wouldn't be surprising, or if you were called on by Nike or anybody else, uh, kind of more or less in the uh, uh, fashion or apparel world. And they said, help me think through what retailing and uh, my stores should be doing, should be like three years from now. Where would you begin the thought process of helping them? I don't want you, I'm not gonna, I'm specifically not asking question. Yeah, I just kind of like, how do you begin to think this through on behalf of others?
0: I think like most things, that starts with the why question, right? Why does your store need to exist in the eyes of your customer? And what do they get from it that they can't get from you know going online? So is it a sense of community? Is it touching and feeling a product? Uh, is it seeing something that is only available at the store and you're forcing them to be there, which is, I don't always think that's the best strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's really understanding: Can you deliver service and humanity in a world that will be, you know, ruled by technology? Maybe there's something in in that idea of like the things that you can't get online and the things that we're all craving right now. Those misconnections. Some of that can be happening in retail. So, I, I, understanding the value of of that, while while also, you know, being recognizing the time that you're asking of people to come into your store or to drive somewhere and to park and to show up or to walk somewhere, to take a sub, whatever it is. Like you're still, you're asking a lot. It's the same, you know, when we think about sending an email out, you know, we're saying, okay, we're interrupting your day. We're, we're interrupting your inbox better be worth it. Right? Like from my perspective, as a a consumer and then as a brand understanding how consumers think, you know, better be worth it. And then it's the same with the store, right? If I'm going to go there, it better be worth it. And I think that's how these brands are going to need to think even more. I mean, the best brands now think that way. Um, and that's going to be the challenge going forward, I think as well.
1: So uh, another question in that, like something I've been thinking about a lot, because, um, uh, as I recall, you live in New York normally yeah. you're not in Vermont. What do you think? I, I'm in New York now and, uh, made a, an affirmative decision many years ago that this is where I wanted to, uh, plant my butt, uh, having grown up in the area. And, um, what do you think the, the future of cities is? Because cities in effect are, you know, caricaturing it, kind of like giant retail operations. You walk out your door and everything on earth is available to sure. um, from goods and services to ideas and, uh, and physical pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens to us now that uh, uh, with this, is there a return to normal? Or do you, uh, what what adjustments would you imagine as somebody who's professionally and personally invested in this?
0: Yeah, I've been thinking about this with New York specifically, Um, you know, New York has been through worse. It's been through tougher times and it always comes back. Um, People are like, will New York ever be the same? Probably not the same, but you know, in some ways that just means It's going to weather this. It'll rewrite itself in in the way that it always does. And it'll, I don't know how long that'll take, but New York will be New York. New York will come back. And the things that people love about cities aren't going to go away. I think we'll all look back on this moment, Um, you know, listen, it's been really tough. A lot of lives lost, a lot of pain. A lot of people are losing their jobs. And I don't know what the future of cities are. I'm not a futurist. I can't predict. To pretend to know what it's what's going to happen, but I do know that New York will come back, and New York will be something, and uh, the appeal of cities won't go away. I mean, that's my that's my perspective. But I'm not really sure.
1: I want to ask you one last question in this vein. This is again the the putting on the other hat, which is your um, your your creative director, uh, writer, mm-hmm. uh, editor, messaging expert. Um, as you uh, look at Bombas and what you've been doing and how you've been adjusting and as you uh, are planted behind screens now through you know most of the day, mm-hmm. uh, I'm presuming that you're also experimenting with a lot of media that you might not have experimented with before just because that's what we're all doing. Um, wh- what are you noticing about and thinking about advertising and messaging as we now come into a new phase here this re-entry phase what kind of messaging will work what won't work um and how would you advise uh, other company leaders and advertising and marketing leaders to think about messaging right now
0: yeah it, it's interesting I, I think if you look at tv and you see a lot of the commercials you know tending to use the same language and <laughs> songs and like hitting on the same notes and we're all in this together and we're here for you Um, there might be some fatigue to that. And the messaging is changing quickly, I I think, on a whole. Um, The advice I have, you know, for us, the messaging hasn't really changed. Some stuff moves a little bit more to the forefront. Some stuff pulls back a little bit. But for us, you know, we're always talking about in some ways comfort and our mission. And we'll continue to do that because that's what our audience wants to hear. From us, and they want to hear, they want to see that loop close with the donation aspect, and they want to hear about how we're continuing to innovate. And that is our truth, right? That is who we are, that's how we talk. That's not changing in this moment. And I think the companies that are trying to capitalize on this moment, um, you have to be careful about making sure that it's something that people want to hear from you and think about it from the consumer mindset and protect your customers in this. And that's always my advice. I don't think it changes in this moment.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I, 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 I mentioned to you before we went on the air the thing that's uh, kind of been keeping me sane, and I haven't had any problems with it. That's actually been a big surprise to me how, how little adjustment it's actually created. But the the thing that keeps me calm has been cooking, uh, hmm. um, and I always knew I liked to cook. So that, that, but but the idea that it is a daily anchor for me yeah. is been a surprise. The newest surprise is how much I've enjoyed cleaning and I've become a bit of a Swiffer, Swiffer fanatic wow, okay. uh, and kind of mopping up a lot. And so I'm sure there's some deep-seated psychology in here. But I, but but as I kind of pull back and think about it, I find that my mind goes to the little things, like cooking and cleaning, and the big things, like the future of cities. Yeah. Uh, and there's not a lot of time for the middle middle ground stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. int- interesting. Um, you know, personally,
0: we're, we're very, very focused on the executional moment of this company. Um, and we we're predicting and, you know, forecasting, but really it's about the moment right now. And that's keeping me grounded and thinking about how our team has responded and connecting with everybody. Um, it's keeping us really busy, thankfully. And I'm here uh, with my fiance and, you know, we've been together in this house now for two months. So... I don't know. It, it, it's an interesting time. I feel lucky to be in the position that I am, and um, just really focus on trying to help out our company, the community. That you know, we started this company to help out, and that's that's been it for me. Last question:
1: Are you a Randall, a Randolph, or a Randy? Just a Randy. That was the, the name your parents gave you. That's it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So you never had to deal with the uh, with the question of a diminutive.
0: Yeah, I mean, at first I I saw, you know, Randall, I just, I'm not sure that this Zoom call was big enough for two Randalls, two, two Randys,
1: but are you, you, are, you've always been Randall? Just no, no, it was, uh, it, it's actually a, a kind of a deep-seated uh, psychological issue in my life. I was really, really yeah, yeah, my, uh, 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 I was named Randall. I still don't actually have a good answer uh, to why, because mm-hmm. the name has no relevance anywhere in my family history. Um my mom uh, always called me Randy. My dad pretty much called me Randall. Uh, I was Randy growing up. Um, never liked it there because there was nobody else with that name except one other person in my high school. That's it. Town of forty thousand people. There were only two Randys. That's why. That's why I liked it. Yeah, I. I mean, it was the early '60s, so I was you know I wanted to conform. Um, and then the other problem was there was a third one, but she was a girl, and, and that really threw me for a, for a loop. Got it. But I was Randy until the first time I went to England on a vacation when yeah. I was in college. That's, that's tough. And I introduced myself and said, What's your name? And I said, Oh, I'm Randy, and they snickered. Right. And that's when I learned the English meaning of the word, and so I I changed. Tough place to have that name. Yeah. yeah true. Randy Goldberg. Founder, CEO of Bombas, co-founder and CEO of Bombas, thank you very much for being with us on IEB There. I know we'll be seeing you again uh, before too long. Thanks for having me, Randall. And congratulations. Thank you so much. Take care. You too. Folks, on tomorrow's IEB There, we're very excited to welcome George Ivey, the CEO and Executive Director of the Media Rating Council, who's going to discuss with all of us the challenges and the opportunities and the evolution of cross-platform media measurement. There's no organization in the United States and probably in the world that is more advanced on this subject and is doing more good for uh, more companies in the marketing media value chain than, uh, than the media rating council. no one that keeps all of us more honest than the MRC. And George Ivey is the uh, tough as nails, empathetic, and brilliant, longtime CEO and Executive Director. So please join us on IAB There. IAB There is a production of the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Our show today and every day was produced by Connor Healy, Joe Ounce, John Ward, and Twafika Mohenuddin. I'm Randall Rothenberg, the CEO of the IAB. Thank you for watching. Come back tomorrow because if it's 2 p.m. Eastern time on a weekday, you know it's time to IAB There. Bye-bye.